Washington, D.C., this is On the Ground. Global support grows for occupied Palestine after more than 100 people are killed in Gaza. Israeli forces attack worshipers at the third holiest site in Islam, and Israel's ongoing ethnic cleansing of Palestinians is caught on video and goes viral. Palestinians are being told the same thing as black folks in America. There is no acceptable form of resistance. And as in the case of George Floyd murdered by ex-cop Derek Chauvin, what is happening on the ground in the apartheid state of Israel is being documented truthfully by citizens, not by occupiers, the state, or corporate media. And, you know, the power of the Instagram lives and of the Facebook lives is despite the media blackout, we're watching our own people record these instances and share them with us and with the world because there's really nowhere to hide from it. It's in our faces and we have to act. All that and much more coming up. Welcome to On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. I'm Esther Everam. Israel attacked the Gaza Strip with a barrage of air and ground fire from tanks on its perimeter on Thursday, the fourth day of strikes that have killed more than 100 people more than a third of whom are women and children, according to the health ministry. In response to Monday's brutal assault on Al-Aqsa Mosque, where hundreds of people praying were fired on by Israeli forces with rubber-coated bullets and stun grenades, Palestinians fired rockets from Gaza that reached far into Israel, where at least seven have died. Protesting the violent assault by Israeli forces at Al-Aqsa and the ongoing ethnic cleansing of Palestinian families in the East Jerusalem neighborhood of Sheikh Jarrah, Palestinians and supporters of Palestine are rallying around the world, including here in D.C., and these protests are rising to a crescendo for Saturday, May 15th, Nakba Day. Nakba means catastrophe, and the day marks when up to 800,000 Palestinians were forced from their homes and made refugees in other countries, in East Jerusalem, in the West Bank, or in Gaza, where dire conditions, including insufficient food, water, and electricity, have been compared to an open-air prison. Hannah, from the Council on American-Islamic Relations, is one of the activists who spoke before a crowd of 1,000 outside the U.S. State Department in Northwest D.C. on Tuesday. We're tired of this ruthless occupation. We're tired of having to constantly prove our existence to people. Enough is enough. Palestine will be free. There has been global condemnation of Israel's violence and violation of the human rights of Palestinians. And the Biden administration is drawing criticism from within his own party for his tepid time-worn claim that Israel has a right to defend itself without acknowledging that Palestinians also have that right. While Democrats may differ on condemning the apartheid state of Israel, there may be unity on new legislation that targets China. Thomas O'Rourke has the latest. In addition to funding and protecting Zionist terror against occupied Palestine, the U.S. government is also fomenting anti-Chinese racism with new legislation in Congress. 
This time, it's called the Strategic Competition Act of 2021. The bill targets China with $650 million more spending for increased U.S. military capacity in the Indo-Pacific region. It also provides $270 million annually for ongoing and new projects to fund anti-China propaganda. Sponsored by Senators Menendez and Risch, the bill passed out of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee April 21st on a 21 to 1 vote. It will assuredly heighten tensions with China, who see the bill as a thinly veiled package promoting yellow-periled nationalist hysteria, along with a Red Scare campaign pointedly directed at China and its so-called malign behaviors and influence. The bill falsely states that the Chinese national development under socialism is a secret plot to achieve world domination through all manner of criminal conduct. It seeks to place strict limits on access by foreigners to critical STEM technologies used and developed on college campuses, and thus targets Chinese and Chinese-American students and academics. Tobito Cho, founder and director of Justice is Global, told Cold Pink Radio on May 13th about the bill's racist impacts and how the Democrats are cynically promoting this bash China campaign for political gain. The way that all these provisions in the bill are inevitably going to play out is through, to varying degrees, like kind of forms of like racial profiling of people of Chinese descent, Chinese international students and scholars who are from China, but Chinese American citizens can be targeted as well. And going back into like the history of the Cold War, there's also been cases where People from Asia, not from China, were also like caught up in dragnets of investigating supposed Chinese spies or agents of Chinese influence. It's really grotesque how successful the right-wing propaganda campaign against Chinese international students has been. And it is deeply dismaying to me to see so many in the Democratic Party collaborating with the right to, to spread this really racist and ultra-nationalistic um, set of ideas. When asked how he'd challenge some of this China-bashing rhetoric, Cho replied, What this is about is it's a strategy to use anti-China politics to rebuild bipartisanship. And in particular in the Senate, uh, they hope to win over some Senate GOP votes for some of their priority bills. And the Strategic Competition Act is a way of doing this. It's a way of trying to use an extremely hawkish piece of legislation against China in the hopes that that's going to recover some sense of bipartisanship. The Strategic Competition Act of 2021 could be taken up by the full Senate very soon. For On the Ground, this is Thomas O'Rourke. On the home front, right-wing economists and pundits are railing against American workers who these pundits say aren't going back to work because of that extra $300 in pandemic unemployment assistance provided in the most recent COVID relief bill passed by Congress. But without exception, these pundits ignore the virtual non-existence of affordable child care. They ignore that we are still in a pandemic. And OSHA, the Federal Occupational Safety and Health Administration, is still getting up to speed to specify what are COVID safe working environments. And finally, these pundits have no answer for the question of why should a person go back to a job that is going to pay them less than unemployment pays. As for President Biden, he seemed to mimic some of the right-wing talking points telling workers receiving unemployment 
that they have to take a fair offer for a job, but acknowledging that the U.S. still has 8 million fewer jobs than when the pandemic started, that many job sites may not meet safety requirements, and that many parents with children at home can't work. Here he is on Monday addressing the issue of child care. We're going to provide real help for people struggling with the challenge of child care, which is making it hard for many parents who need to work, especially women, to get back to work. During this crisis, thousands of child care providers and centers were forced to close because they couldn't make ends meet with fewer students and higher costs to keep them safe. As a result, parents lost support, lost the support system they depended on for child care. And tens of thousands of child care workers lost their jobs. In fact, there are 150,000 fewer child care jobs now than there were pre-pandemic. The American Rescue Plan has already allocated funds to states to address the immediate challenge to our economy and of too few child care operations. Workers earning low wages at McDonald's will strike on May 19th, a day before the fast food giant's annual shareholder meeting, to continue their demand that McDonald's pay all of its workers at least $15 an hour. And this comes as McDonald's says it is struggling to find workers. McDonald's earned $5 billion in profits in 2020 and paid $4 billion in dividends to its shareholders. New COVID guidelines issued by the CDC on Thursday state that vaccinated people do not have to wear masks outdoors or indoors with some exceptions, for example, on public transportation. But the new rule is drawing controversy, for one, because it relies on self-reporting in a country full of anti-maskers and anti-vaxxers. There was also a question mark placed over this U.S. vaccine regime on Thursday when the New York Yankees reported that eight of its vaccinated players still tested positive for COVID. Biden's proposal to invest in child care in the United States is part of his overall infrastructure plan that activists say needs to be much bigger and bolder to tackle the climate crisis. Chantel James has the latest. With the EPA recently releasing climate indicators that were suppressed under the Trump administration, the state of the climate appears dire. Biden's administration has recently relaunched the climate change indicators page, showing that U.S. cities are experiencing more heat waves, temperatures of bodies of water are higher, sea levels on U.S. coasts are rising, and wildfire season comes earlier. On Monday, Sunrise Movement activists began a 400-mile march from New Orleans to Houston to demand that Biden refuse to compromise with Republicans and that he include good jobs for all and the Civilian Climate Corps in a $2.6 trillion infrastructure plan. Hi, my name is Shante and I'm marching 400 miles because I love my city and I'm going to protect my city. Hi, my name is Javier. I'm with the Sunrise Movement and I am marching because I want to continue doing the work that I do for my community and make a livable wage so I can bring home money to my family. The EPA has updated its indicators 
to include how rising global temperatures have reduced glaciers in Glacier National Park, Montana, shortened the duration of ice cover in the Great Lakes, and caused permafrost temperatures to rise in Alaska. For On the Ground, this is Chantal James. Voices of those sunrise activists are from a video they produced before they began the 400-mile walk this week. The video is titled, We're Bringing the Heat. We demand good-paying jobs to fight the climate crisis, and we're marching. And finally, in culture and media, our friends at Accuracy.org have a number of posts this week featuring human rights activists on the subject of foreign policy. Francis Boyle, professor at the University of Illinois College of Law, notes media reports that Biden's Secretary of State Tony Blinken didn't press the Israelis to stop the operation in Gaza for now. Boyle said, quote, so in other words, Blinken gave them the green light to escalate, end quote. Also, author Lev Golinkin writes that Blinken is ignoring glorification of Nazis in Ukraine for a geopolitical gain. He noted that after Blinken's recent visit to Ukraine, Blinken said nothing about the recent pro-Nazi SS march there, and that when asked for comment, the State Department immediately started attacking him by invoking so-called Russian disinformation. CNN is reporting that Colonial Pipeline made a ransom payment to the hacking group Darkside to recover its stolen data. Because of the data breach, the company shut down its pipeline on the Atlantic coast, prompting panic buying and long lines at gas stations. Nakba Day is May 15th, which commemorates up to 800,000 Palestinians displaced from their homes to establish the state of Israel. It will be marked with rallies all over the globe. In D.C., the rally and march will begin at 3 p.m. at the Washington Monument. Follow Palestinian Youth Movement on Instagram for more information. That's May 15th, 3 p.m. at the Washington Monument here in D.C. And finally, WPFW, the Pacifica station in Washington, D.C., is mourning the death of Rob Sims, a longtime volunteer programmer who produced headlines for the Tuesday morning drive time audience. Sims was a kidney transplant survivor. And those are headlines and happenings. Stay with us. is on the ground on the ground show.org voices of resistance from the nation's capital i'm esther Ivarum. 
or with more than 80 people, including at least a dozen children killed by Israeli missile attacks on Gaza, continued attacks on Palestinians, and the Biden administration giving the green light for such attacks to continue, this most recent assault on Palestinians in East Jerusalem, Gaza, or other portions of the occupied West Bank has highlighted the skewed coverage in the U.S. and Europe of the Palestinian struggle the growing importance of social media, and the need for alternative media to tell the stories of oppressed communities and nations. Joining us for more on the subject is author and educator Christopher Chambers, a fellow at the International Conflict Resolution Center and a frequent commentator on mass communications and culture. His recent book is Scavenger, a crime story based here in Washington, D.C. Welcome back to the show, Chris. Thank you. It's great to be here. Well, when it comes to corporate media coverage of these assaults on occupied Palestine, the story always seems to start with when Palestinians fight back, you know, when they are throwing rocks at heavily armed soldiers or if Hamas fires rockets, you know, in this case, after hundreds of worshipers have been brutally assaulted inside the third holiest site in Islam, the Al-Aqsa Mosque. So I wanted to just get your opening thoughts on how you're viewing coverage of what's happening in Palestine. Well, let me put it this way. It's better than usual, which means that it's gone from utterly abysmal to downright terrible. (laughs) Um, I know that sounds weird, but let me clarify that. At the very least, on the three networks and CNN, I'm not talking about Fox News, obviously, You do have at least some introductory missives about Israelis evicting people from their homes, poor people from their homes, not squatters, not aliens from outer space, but poor people from their homes in Jerusalem, which at times is mentioned that that the UN considers that an international city. And you also have footage of Israeli police harassing and attacking people at the mosque during a holy uh, season. So you have maybe 10 seconds of that context, which you've never really had before, but that's still 10 seconds against hours and hours and hours of what is the response. Now that is nothing different than what we've seen domestically with regard to people protesting for justice and the skewing of that. I mean, indeed, when Colin Kaepernick started taking his knee Nobody bothered to ask him why he was doing it. They just assumed and had people report on what they consider was the fact that he hated America or hated white people. And it wasn't until later that he said, well, it was about what's still going on now, police brutality, needless harassment, uh, even murder. So what you have is something sexy for the cameras when you see unarmed people in the streets throwing rocks at people dressed up like Imperial Stormtroopers in Star Wars. The thing is, how did those guys get dressed up like that? When did they prepare for that? Sophisticated governments do not do this by accident. They plan something. They understand there's going to be a response from people who are poor or unarmed or have no other recourse, and that's going to be in the streets. They understand that, so they dress up in the riot gear and press that even further. Now, what also makes it sexy is the response from, say, Hamas, which is the response of people who, again, are disproportionately outgunned. So it makes a lot better TV to see these these rockets, which are pretty primitive, 
shooting off than it does a, you know, a supersonic jet 30, you know, 20,000 feet up in the sky. Then you see a puff of smoke. That isn't sexy, but seeing rockets come up into the night, that's sexy. So, you know, this is nothing new. The only thing that's new is you're being provided with a fluff second, a second of context, which many people probably don't pay attention to. So, since you mentioned that fluff second of content or context, let's, I'm going to play a clip of the, the video that kind of went viral around the world. An Israeli settler, I think from New York, basically, who's been living in the home of a Palestinian family and uh, basically trying to steal the house. Jacob, you know this is not your house. Yes, but if I go, you don't go back. So what's the problem? Why are you yelling at me? I didn't do this. I didn't do this. But well, it's you, easy to yell at me, but I didn't do this. Yeah, you are helping. stealing my house. And if I don't steal it, someone else is going to steal it. No, no, no one, no one uh, uh, is allowed to steal it, Yammi. So that's the clip from the neighborhood of Sheikh Jarrah. And there's one more piece I want to play from Middle East Eye when they did attempt to give the public some more information about the background of, of what, what exactly is happening. Here's what's happening at Al-Aqsa Mosque right now in Jerusalem. Hundreds of Palestinian worshippers have been tear-gassed, attacked with rubber-coated steel bullets, and arrested by Israeli forces, who stormed the Holy Mosque during prayer times in an attempt to clear the compound. The Red Crescent says more than 170 people have been injured, with more than 80 transferred to hospital for treatment and at least one person in critical care. So how did all of this start? The city has been on edge all week over the imminent eviction of six Palestinian families from their homes in the neighborhood of Sheikh Jarrah. For days, activists gathered to protest a court-ordered removal of the families and replacing them with Israeli settlers who had filed legal claims over the land. Israeli police shut down the protests and arrested dozens of activists, eventually blockading the entire neighborhood to prevent any public gatherings. On Friday, Hundreds of thousands of Muslims from across Palestinian areas traveled to pray at Al-Aqsa Mosque, marking the final week of the holy month of Ramadan. Following the prayers, some worshippers began chanting in support of Sheikh Jarrah through the streets of the Old City. Israeli police responded quickly, violently dispersing crowds that included women and children with sound grenades and rubber-coated steel bullets. When people retreated to Al-Aqsa compound, which sits at the heart of the Old City, Israeli police entered and attempted to clear the area that still contained thousands of Palestinians. Videos that emerged from the night showed grenades thrown at worshippers as they prayed, and several areas including Al-Majid Al-Qibli were tear-gassed while people were trapped inside. Many hid inside Al-Aqsa Mosque, where they remained trapped for hours as Israeli police cut electricity lines to force them to evacuate. Emergency services are still trying to assess the injuries and restore calm to the civilians still coming to grips with what happened. Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas has demanded an emergency session at the UN Security Council over what he calls disgusting and sinful acts in Al-Aqsa and Sheikh Jarrah. So I thought it was, it was very informative to me to actually hear that report from Middle East Eye. Yeah. And 
not only does it give context, but it just reminds me how news organizations, not only do they not give the context for the current attacks and what's happening, but they don't really give the larger context which is settler colonialism, right? And they don't use that term ever to describe uh, what is happening in Israel. The the fact that Israel was really founded on the same type of violence that, you know, 800,000 Palestinian people were forced from their homes, their villages were raised destroyed or destroyed in what they call the Nakba, the, the founding of Israel in 1948, right? And so, what people are experiencing there right now is just really kind of uh, an encapsulated form of what, what's been going on since Israel was founded. And it's as if, you know, media, corporate media, especially, they just can't be bothered to give that larger context because it says so much about U.S. imperialism, about imperialism in general and settler colonialism. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, they're not really equipped for that. The, the flip side of that, however, is that you do your basic news gathering and you do it with the same amount of expertise and alacrity that you would if you were trying to show Palestinians throwing rocks or Hamas shooting off rockets. In other words, somebody got that clip of that, that settler talking to those people. You know, right. and you can show that. You don't, and again, I mean, when I said that it went from utterly deplorable to horrible, they want to be patted on the back for that. I've been speaking with author and educator Christopher Chambers, a fellow at the International Conflict Resolution Center here in Washington, D.C., and he's a frequent commentator on mass communications and culture. His recent book is the novel Scavenger. It's a crime novel based here in D.C. <laughs> Thank you for joining me today, Chris. Thank you. Appreciate it. So... We must ask ourselves, what is the dictionary definition of terrorism? The systematic use of terror, especially as a means of coercion. But what is terror? According to the dictionary I hold in my hand, terror is violent or destructive acts such as bombing committed by groups in order to intimidate a population or government into granting their demands. So what's a terrorist? They calling me a terrorist Like they don't know who the terror is When they put it on me I tell them this I'm all about peace and love They calling me a terrorist Like they don't know who the terrorist Insulting my intelligence Like the ragheads and packies are worrying your dad But your dad's favourite food is curry and kebab It's funny but it's sad How they make your mummy hurry with her bags Rather read the sun and study all the facts Tell me, what's the bigger threat to human society? BAE systems or homemade IEDs Remote control drones Killing off human lives Or man with homemade bomb committing suicide I know you were terrified When you saw the towers fall It's all terror But some forms are more powerful 
powerful it seems nuts How could there be such agony when more Israelis die from peanut allergies It's like the definition didn't ever exist I guess it's all just dependent who your nemesis is Irrelevant how eloquent the rhetoric peddler is They're telling fibs now, tell us who the terrorist is They're calling me a terrorist Like they don't know who the terrorist When they put it on me I tell them this I'm all about peace and love Mossadegh was democracy, Allende was democracy, hypocrisy, it bothers me Call you terrorists if you don't wanna be a colony Refuse to bow down to a policy of robbery It's terrorism, my lyrics When more Vietnam vets killed themselves after the war than died in it This is very basic One nation in the world has over a thousand military bases They say it's religion, when clearly it isn't It's not just Muslims that oppose your imperialism It's Hugo Chavez, a Muslim Nah, I didn't think so, it's cash Israeli government's campaign to expel Palestinian families 
from Jerusalem Sheikh Jarrah neighborhood as well as the violent attacks against Palestinian worshippers in Masjid al-Aqsa. Support Representative Rashida Talib's petition urging the U.S. government to uphold international law and demand an end to Israel's illegal evictions and demolitions of Palestinian homes. Secretary Blinken, history has his eyes on you. We will hold you accountable. I leave you with this. Our oppression is interconnected. When protesters in Ferguson were being smeared with tear gas, Palestinians tweeted advice to them. The same knee to the neck hold that killed George Floyd is used on Palestinians in the illegal occupied territories. This is our fight, and we're going to keep fighting back. To my Palestinian family, we need your voices. Do not stay silent in the face of this cowardly, cowardly pushback we're getting. Our voices are our strength. They have all the weapons in the world. They have all the funding in the world, and they still fear us. Keep fighting. Audrey Lord once said, your silence will never protect you. Be the occupation's worst nightmare and fight back. is on the ground on the ground show.org voices of resistance from the nation's capital i'm esther Ivarim. well on thursday israel continued to bomb the already besieged gaza strip where the death toll rose to at least 83 palestinians killed including more than a dozen children according to the gaza health ministry in response to monday's brutal israeli assault at al-aqsa mosque where hundreds of people praying were fired on by israeli soldiers with rubber-coated bullets and stun grenades Palestinians fired rockets from Gaza that reached far into Israel, where at least seven have died. Protesting the violent assault by Israeli forces at Al-Aqsa and the ongoing ethnic cleansing of Palestinian families in the East Jerusalem neighborhood of Sheikh Jarrah, Palestinians and supporters of Palestine are rallying around the world, including here in D.C., as you just heard in the previous segment. And these protests are rising to a crescendo for Saturday, May 15th, Nakba Day. Nakba means catastrophe, and the day marks when up to 800,000 Palestinians were forced from their homes and made refugees in the West Bank, in Gaza, or abroad. In Gaza, dire conditions, including insufficient food, water, and electricity, have been compared to an open-air prison. Well, here to give us more insight are two organizers of this week's massive march in D.C., 
Russia Anaya, General Coordinator of the Palestinian Youth Movement, DMV Chapter. She joins us from Baltimore. Joining from D.C. is Laura Albest, also a member of Palestinian Youth Movement. Welcome to On the Ground, Russia and Laura. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much for having us. Well, this is actually On the Ground's like seventh anniversary this month. And in the short seven years that we've been doing the show, we've covered attacks on Gaza in 2014, 2015. We also covered the Great March of Return in 2018 to 2019, when you had thousands of people just peacefully marching, coming to the fence and the wall that, you know, divides where they live in Gaza, you know, from, you know, the land where many of their ancestors, you know, lived, you know, villages where they were displaced from. So I know much of the current resistance is from the forced eviction, you know, ethnic cleansing of Palestinians in the Sheikh Jarrah neighborhood, and this this horrific attack at Al-Aqsa. So I want to both of you to tell us how you are personally impacted by this ongoing ethnic cleansing in the Sheikh Jarrah neighborhood and the kind of attack by Israeli forces at what is the third holiest site in Islam at Al-Aqsa Mosque. Thank you so much for that. Uh, you know, you are the only journalist who is up to date to what is happening right now in Palestine. We've had a few interviews this morning. No one knew what is happening. So thank you so much for making your listeners aware of what is happening right now. Personally, how I'm feeling, I'm, I'm exhausted, I'm devastated, and I'm really, really scared. As we're speaking right now, Israel ha- is bombing Gaza right now. There's a media blackout. We're trying to get some folks in Gaza to join us on Instagram uh, lives in order to tell us what is going on, but they are unable to. They are very scared. One woman that was able to get on for a few minutes was crying. They are telling us that there are new weapons being used and they feel that they are all going to die. I am very, very scared for them in Gaza right now. And Sheikh Jarrah, at the same time, a mob of Israeli settlers marched to the Sheikh Jarrah neighborhood in Jerusalem where families are threatened to be expelled from their homes illegally as the U.S. recognizes that illegal settlement expansion is, well, illegal, as I said. They are marching right now to the Sheikh Jarrah neighborhood to assault the residents. Yes, and that's that's Laura speaking. One thing is that I've learned, you know, from covering Palestine, I've learned more about the Palestinian diaspora and especially students, young people like yourselves here in this area who have actually been targeted by the Israeli lobby here, but just as part of this overall settler colonial project, you know, in Palestine and here in the U.S. that really wants to erase the story of Palestinian people and the reality of historic Palestine. So do either of you have anything you want to share in terms of your families there and what your families have experienced in terms of displacement, a seizure of land, and really what I've been trying to repeat on and off on this show is that what's happening right now, this ethnic cleansing is a process that started back in 1948 when people were expelled from their homes and, you know, settlers came in and took over people's homes. So it was caught on video this time in a real alarming, outrageous way. But this is something that's just been ongoing. Yeah. Thank you, Esther. And that's really important to highlight. It's really important to highlight 
that the Nakba is ongoing. The catastrophe of 1948 is not a moment or just one event, but it's something that's spanned across time and space. And so for me personally growing up, like I grew up listening to my grandmother's stories of fleeing to caves to hide from different like Israeli forces in the Haganah in 1948. I've heard the stories of my father when he was a kid fleeing in 1967 in the events of the Nexa, which we call the setback. And so these are stories we've all grown up with. And now we're watching those stories happen in real time. Like when we say like, oh, settlers are going to the occupied territories in 48 and they're going around and they're marking doors and they're stabbing and they're chasing people down and they're running basically pogroms against Arabs and against Palestinians. That's something that happened in 1948 and continued through to this day. There have been many massacres in Palestine at the hands of Israeli occupation forces. And right now we're witnessing another one in real time. And, you know, the power of the Instagram lives and of the Facebook lives is despite the media blackout, we're watching our own people record these instances and share them with us and with the world. And so it's like one of those things of what would I do like in a certain situation? And we're facing that right now. And it's so important for us to stand up because there's really nowhere to hide from it. It's in our faces and we have to act. What you said is so important. And I want you to add more, uh, Rasha and Laura, about the importance of being able to get out your own story and how social media has allowed this story to be told from the moment that, you know, the video hit about the Israeli settler, you know, telling a woman, you know, if I don't steal your house, someone else will, right? To the images, horrific images at Al-Aqsa going out. How has the movement been benefited or on the other hand, you know, hindered by social media? You know, there are pros and cons to this, right? Now more than ever, anyone with an internet connection and access to social media can go and see exactly with their own eyes what is happening. People are able to reach out to Palestinians in the diaspora from Palestine to tell them, hey, we need you to shed light on this. This is what's happening. Media isn't covering this. Why isn't media covering this? On the one hand, Israel does prevent a lot of international press from entering certain areas where they are actively assaulting Palestinians. On the other hand, American media actively participates in the censorship of the Palestinian narrative by concealing the truth and by echoing Israeli talking points and narrative. The New York Times alone, Patrick Kingsley, he's very new heading the New York Times bureau in Jerusalem. He says he wants to do fair reporting. Last week, he called the Israeli settlers landlords of the properties where the Palestinians Mm. are going to be expelled. He also, when he reported about the HRW, the human rights report that accused Israel of crimes of apartheid, his entire report was basically like a press release from the Israeli government. He just found ways to discredit that press release. At the same time, when it comes to social media, Facebook has been censoring a lot, a lot of people. This morning alone, they disabled a group that had more than 60,000 Palestinian and Arab users in it who are sharing information about what's happening in Jerusalem and trying to get help. So we have good things happening. We have bad things happening. We are able to see with our own eyes the direct attack, the direct assault, the apartheid, uh, how Israel is an apartheid state. We're seeing that with our own eyes. But at the same time, Facebook and Instagram are always following us wherever we post, whatever we do, and they're trying to censor everything we put out. But they will not succeed. I'm telling you this 
they will not succeed because the world now sees Israel for its true colors. And speaking of that, in terms of now being in an important moment for the Palestinian movement and struggle, one of the ways that it's different is that people in Gaza, people in the West Bank, people in East Jerusalem have maybe a renewed solidarity that maybe wasn't there before. Can you speak to that, either one of you? I think that solidarity has always been there. Even us in the diaspora, we don't view the struggle as separate from us, even though we're barred from our land. The experience of being Palestinian is one um, since 1948 of being forced into fragmentation, like geographically, and of being displaced. And so it's important for us to continue to connect back to the land. And we see this when Gaza is bombed in 2008, 2009, and 2014. Palestinians across the world stood up. Some of the first protests that happened in support of Sheikh Jarrah were in Lebanese refugee camps. This fragmentation that people like to put on the Palestinian people is one that's been imposed on us from the geographic fragmentation that we've faced, and especially since the 1993 Oslo Accords, where you know we were dispossessed of our political processes. And so, no, I think even me, who I grew up mostly in the United States, we all view that struggle as one and the same. Most of the Palestinian population is not even within Palestine anymore. Generations have grown up outside of it. But because of our history, because of how tied we are to the land, because of our political history, our culture, these things run really deep. And we do have a unified front. Mm -hmm. You mentioned uh, earlier the New York Times, and I was shocked. I was listening to uh, Max Blumenthal, uh, a friend of the show. He's editor of The Gray Zone, and he was on Jimmy Dore one night this week, and he told a story about how, I think it's Thomas Friedman, when he was the, the bureau chief in Israel, how he was basically set up in a house that had been taken from Palestinian family, that it was one of these stolen houses that people are only kind of becoming aware of now. And then that same house or location was taken over by the next New York Times bureau chief. So you have the New York Times bureau chief and the bureau per se located in a stolen home, which is what people are protesting now. And also talked about how the children of two of the bureau chiefs, it might be Friedman's child and another child was actually joined the Israeli military. And, you know, thought about how horrific really in terms of all the things we're taught about being a journalist and being objective, that to have both those things happen, to have your institution, you know, housed in a home seized from a family, and then to have your own children basically part of the military, you know, o- oppressive military, like state power. That's that's something really, something very particular. I don't think that people knew about. But I wanted to, to end with you telling me about your experiences uh, here basically being targeted, not necessarily by the New York Times, but by the Israeli lobby here to try to instill fear and basically target Palestinian activists and their supporters. And then just wind up uh, telling us about Saturday, 
here in D.C. and and what you know of what's happening around the country that people, our listeners could join in if they would like to come out? I'm going to defer to Russia on this, but I do want to say first that, you know, you are right. I'm not surprised that the New York Times bureau chief is actually sitting in someone's own home. In fact, a lot of UN agencies People who work at UN agencies and at human rights organizations also live in homes that were stolen. Some of them very close to the Sheikh Jarrah neighborhood that is currently threatened. I will also mention, because you are right, some people do have a lot of connections with the Israeli military. Isabel Kirshner, who actually leads the reporting on Jerusalem in the New York Times, her husband served in the military and her son served in the military. Mm. It's very disappointing. Resha, maybe you can talk a little bit about how websites target students and about our protest. Yeah, thank you, Esther, for asking that question, because I think a lot of Palestinian students, we face this. A lot of students that work for Palestinian liberation and in the Palestinian struggle face this. And there's not really that many safe spaces, honestly, where we can talk about it without fear of being pinned into being called an anti-Semite. And this is the project of the Zionist Hasbara propaganda machine, where they even have an entire ministry that does this, where they claim that to critique Zionism is to critique Judaism, is to be an anti-Semite, anti-Zionism as anti-Semitic. And this falls from the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance, I think, It is, or association, the IHRA definition that a lot of government institutions are trying to implement, which then would make law that critiquing Zionism makes you anti-Semitic. Of course, we completely reject that because Zionism is not about Judaism. Zionism is about dispossessing Palestinians and committing ethnic cleansing on Palestine and removing us from our homes. That's the actual reality of what it is. To critique Zionism is to defend Palestinian life and to defend our struggle and to call for the liberation of our homelands. What happens on campuses specifically is they go after students that speak up. And this is not something new. This has been going on for a really long time where to stand up for Palestine is to be called a terrorist. And this has led to many damaging things to the movements because a lot of people get really scared and they get scared into silence. It's not just the government that's doing that and that's really important. Really, a lot of it are these Zionist think tanks or just weird organizations that do that. There's like entire law centers that are like focused on going after like undergraduate students, you know, remove them from getting an education, having quote unquote successful careers, whatever that means to you. And this is something I personally have experienced for my activism where I've been targeted. Canary Mission is an entire website that was established in 2015 by the David Horowitz campaign. And what they do is they go to campuses, they find students that speak about Palestine, they paint them as terrorists, they call Students for Justice for Palestine a terrorist organization, they try to make all of these absurd connections and then blacklist you. And so like for people like me who are aspiring academics, you know, that hurts your career. That has a tangible material effect on Palestinians in the U.S. When you search a person's name and what you see is page after page after page of calling them like these things and playing off Islamophobic tropes, playing off of anti-Arab racism, playing off of anti-Palestinian racism. And so this is something that we see a lot. What I do want to say for all of any listeners who have faced this or other Palestinians is the goal of these campaigns is to scare us into silence. 
And so the response for us must be to not be silent. No matter how many pages they have about you, no matter if it's a small publication, small Zionist publication in your local media, or if it's all the way to the Times of Israel, what they're trying to do there is they're trying to silence Palestinians and silence them so that they can continue our ethnic cleansing. Because our role in the, in the United States is to join together and build power and to speak out and to bring our community into a political process in which we can liberate our people and work with our people, both in all of the, like globally who have been dispersed. And so really it's so, so critical for us to continue to speak out and to continue to do that. So not to fall victim to these campaigns. Well, we definitely heard you speaking out here in D.C. Tuesday. What was your count? I thought that there was about a thousand, but maybe there was. Uh, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. Well, well, we can say at least a thousand, right? Came out at the State Department and then marched to. We went all the way to Black Lives Matter Plaza outside the White House. All right. Perfect. We only have a minute left. Uh, what can you tell us about uh, Saturday's uh, action for Nakba Day, May 15th, and what people can do in D.C. and how they can get information if they're in other parts of the country? Yes. Thank you. So on Saturday, for people that are in the DMV area, we will be having a protest outside. We'll be starting at the Washington Monument at 3 p.m. And we'll be starting there and we'll have a march. For people outside of the DMV, there are protests happening, we've heard now, at at least 110 cities across the globe. To get information about North America, at least, please follow the Palestinian Youth Movement. That's Palestinian Youth Movement on Instagram and then also on Twitter. And there we are posting every single rally that we can, that we are organizing and that others are also organizing. So if you want to find one in your area, we have ones in the Bay Area, we have in LA, we have in Houston, we have in San Diego, we have in Michigan. There's almost every city, every major city in the U.S. is holding a protest. And so if you follow the Palestinian Youth Movement, you should be able to find the details there. Well, we are happy to to follow you and keep following you. That was Russia Anaya, General Coordinator of the Palestinian Youth Movement DMV Chapter. We are also joined by Laura Albast also a member of the Palestinian Youth Movement. Thank you so much for joining me, Russia and Laura, and we'll see you uh, on the streets on Saturday. Thank you, Esther. Thank you so much. And that will do it for today's episode of On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. Thank you to Chantel James and Thomas O'Rourke for their contributions to the show today. You can check out all of our current and past shows on the website we maintain, onthegroundshow.org. And you can reach out to us and support us there as well. You can also let us know you like the show at On The Ground Show on Facebook, Twitter, or on patreon.com at On The Ground Show. The new podcast, On The Ground with Esther Ivarum, is on all your podcast platforms. The new podcast, our social media pages and website all have a protest sign with a green lettering that says On The Ground. Thank you to all those checking out the podcast and don't to give us don't forget to give us a nice rating there at on the ground W Esther Aram. The music we played this hour included Isley Brothers Fight the Power, Low Key, Long Live Palestine Part 2, and DMAR the Third Generation. Our theme music is Voodoo Child by Jimi Hendrix. I'm Esther Aram. Until next time, take good care and keep raising your voice. Peace.
This is Esther Ivarum, producer and host of On the Ground, thanking you for listening and for being a part of our audience. And I'm asking you to please partner with us in keeping alive this independent grassroots news program from Washington, D.C. Your fully tax-deductible donation of as little as $3 a month will help us keep lifting up voices of activism and resistance to corporate power and corporate media. So please go to our page at patreon.com forward slash on the ground show. That's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash on the ground show where we post the shows and bonus material. Or you can see all the ways to support, including end of the year giving and PayPal on our website, which you know is onthegroundshow.org. Thank you.